for the, uh, this morning I have a story uh, of grace uh, for you. Uh, a story of how our Lord uh, has intervened um, in, in life to bring us uh, salvation when we did not deserve it. If you'd uh, turn with me, we're not going to read straight away, but we'll be spending a little bit of time in the Gospel of Mark uh, this morning. Before I, uh, I get there, the, uh, the weather outside today, it's been great to have all this rain over the last number of uh, days and weeks, but the weather outside reminds me of the opportunity to go to the beach to swim, does it not? So uh, hot out there this morning, and sometimes uh, you could imagine that uh, swimming in the ocean can sometimes be a reflection of our Christian faith. And how do I, why do I say that? When we're swimming between the flags, we're swimming within the guidance and ever-careful watch of the lifeguards. Those swimming around us help us uh, as we are jumping over the waves, as we see the waves crash around us. We can look out for each other. We can enjoy uh, the water um, as we're in it. However, we get the opportunity, do we not, to choose whether we follow that guidance or whether we don't. Sometimes when we're swimming, we're so focused on the next set of waves that are coming through that we don't realise that the currents have actually moved us away from where we started out, that we've moved away from the safety and the security of being near the shore, of being near the lifeguards. And it's not until you turn around that you actually notice how far that you've travelled. And this can happen when you're swimming around others within these flags, but it also particularly happens when you decide to jump in where there's no flags at all. So often your focus is on what's out without keeping an eye on what's behind. We get battered by the waves and uh, all of a sudden we're enjoying being out there. We look around and we've travelled much further out than we expected. If you don't make a quick decision you could find yourself in grave danger. Something that happens slowly, not something that happens immediately. Have a little think about gaining weight. You never notice that you're gaining weight as you eat, but it's something that slowly over time, as you eventually look in the mirror one day, you realise how on earth did that happen. Sometimes it's not until a doctor taps you on the shoulder and says something particular about Uh, health conditions that are starting to form that you actually take notice and do something about it. But slowly, your body has become more unhealthy. So what's the... uh, Where am I going at with these couple of examples? Swimming in the ocean is great. It's an awesome feeling, catching waves and and surfing them back into shore. Uh, Floating in the water on a warm day like this is so uh, refreshing. Similarly, eating nice food is really enjoyable. It's an event sometimes to go out to a restaurant and eat eat some really rich food. Of course, you don't want to be doing that every single day, but it is an event that we can look forward to. To some degree, these illustrations help us to understand the slow fade that many Christians experience in life. We can experience the great joy of salvation when we come to know our Lord and Saviour, when we realise what he has done for us, 
We enjoy and delight in the meeting together and the worshipping with other believers. We love to hear the word of God, but sometimes, over time, we experience a slow fade, a time where we drift away from following after God. Some time ago, I was in the midst of such a slow fade. I thank God that eventually he put something in my pathway that made me look for the shore. It was then that I realised how far I had drifted. This morning, maybe there is someone here who is in the midst of such a fade, of drifting away from God. Maybe you have experienced this in the past, or maybe, praise the Lord, you have not. I hope that after we've spoken together this morning, as we've opened the word of God, that you'll be equipped, equipped to understand how this so easily happens. What are the signs to look out for and how you can arrest this drifting and get back to shore. So this morning I do want to share a few thoughts that came to me during uh, this time. One of the first things I, I did in arresting this drift was to turn to the word of God. Where else would we go to but to the words of truth that God has given down through the ages that contain his words. I actually sat down and I read the Gospel of Mark from beginning to end, from verse 1 of chapter 1 through to the very last verse of chapter 16, a very short Gospel of Mark that encapsulates the life of Jesus Christ. Took me about probably about an hour and a half, two hours. And look, I'd encourage you, if you get a chance to do that yourself, it was such a blessing to read through one book of uh, one gospel of uh, of Jesus' life and to see um, how it is that how he communicated with those around him. I read it like Tom was saying this morning in open worship, almost as though it was for the first time. As I read, I asked the Holy Spirit to reveal his word to me and it seemed to jump out from the pages. It seemed to come to life. As I read, I imagined myself sitting there hearing the Lord Jesus Christ, seeing what he has done and imagining what would it have been like. The Holy Spirit encouraged me with so many gems of truth, but he also challenged me strongly about how I had been living, the decisions and the actions I had taken. But he didn't leave me there. He refreshed my soul with the truth of the gospel. James, in his letter compares reading the word of God and ignoring what it says to standing in front of a mirror, walking away and forgetting what you look like. God certainly used his word in, uh, in Mark's gospel as a mirror that particular day. So let's have a bit of a look at some of the gems and some of the things that I picked out. And let's turn, if you can, to Mark chapter 4. And we'll just read a few verses. Um, in fact, we might, uh, we'll read the uh, in, entire um, uh, story about the parable uh, of the sower. So we're reading from Mark chapter 4 and starting at verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake. While the people were along the shore at the water's edge... He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching he said, Listen, 
A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop multiplying 30, 60, or even a 100 times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still, others like seeds sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. And we'll leave it there. Traditionally, this passage is taught as a description of three separate groups of people who have heard the word of God and eventually, through various different circumstances, reject it. And then a fourth group uh, who represents all those who are saved, who have heard the word of God and found genuine salvation, which has led to much fruit um, and spiritual blessing in their lives. Whilst this uh, might be an accurate depiction of this parable, as believers, there are maybe times in our life where we actually reflect the people in the third group whose fruitfulness was impacted by the thorns that also grew and started choking the word of God. Let's have another little look at this particular group in verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Now, it's fortunate enough, enough to grow up in Tasmania and uh, we ran a small farm uh, while we were there and uh, we grew many vegetables. Uh, we ended up selling potatoes to the local fruit and veggie shop. And uh, one of my jobs as uh, being a son of my father was to go along and help him uh, plant the seeds but also to help him remove the weeds that grew. We had to keep an eye on the paddock, and as they grew, out we would go uh, to go and take them. But there were parts of the farm that we weren't so concerned about, and so we could see that the weeds would grow if we neglected it a bit. Now, these weeds, they grew fast. They grew extra green, it seemed, to the plants around them. They flowered before the plants flowered, and in doing so, they dropped their seeds 
before the plants had dropped their seeds. And so more weeds grew in their place. And soon enough, you looked at that plot of soil and all you could see was weeds and thorns and thistles. Not pleasant to be uh, pulling out all those thistles with all their thorns. There was a real competition happening in that plot of dirt as the weeds and the plants competed for the nutrients that were in the soil. As they competed for the rain and for the sunshine, it was quite frequent that these weeds had wider leaves than the plants that we were growing that grew further above the height of the other plants so they could reach the sun first. If you didn't attend these weeds, they would take over that plot and that's all that you'd be left. Have a look at verse 18 because Jesus now gives us the meaning for this third group. He said, Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life The deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. There are many things in the world in which we live. There are many things even within our own lives that can choke the word of God that we receive and aid in our drifting away from the shore. This doesn't necessarily mean that we've rejected God. It doesn't necessarily mean we've rejected our faith and that we're not genuinely uh, saved in the first place. God, uh, Satan uses these things to minimise the impact of the gospel in our lives. Satan is after us, after us to minimise our impact. He wants to get into our lives and into the lives of our families so that we are not fruitful for the gospel. He gets us tied up in chasing other things, which eventually, over time, can sometimes become more important than the word of God in our lives. We give in to temptation. We get caught up in sin and the pleasures of life instead of seeking his glory. We take our eyes off Christ and onto the world around us. Going back to our, our, our beach illustration, we take an eye off the shore and we're solely focused on the set of waves coming through, not knowing where our anchor is. We trust in ourselves, we trust in our own abilities to understand what is going on around us and to survive around, in those circumstances. We try and do all that we can. It consumes our efforts. It consumes our energy as we live our busy lives. We are called to live in the world, but not to become a part of the world. But unfortunately for some of us, it's often difficult to tell the difference. As you can see from uh, verse 7, these thorns are not already in existence. When the seed was planted, the thorns were not already there. They had not already grown. They grew from being seeds themselves slowly over time and eventually overcame and choked the plants. You know, it's quite rare that we as believers actually make conscious decisions to walk away from God and from following after him. It's usually a slow fade, a slow 
change through all the small little decisions that we make in life. The habits that we slowly change. The priorities that slowly get changed in our lives. Some of the things that we get involved in are not inherently wrong in and of themselves. But once they become greater, once they start to cloud our involvement and our following of God, once they start to choke the word of God in our lives, then we have an issue that needs to be dealt with. At that point in time, we need to look for the shore. We need to be reminded of the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be reminded of what he has done for us. We need to repent from our sin before God and put him first. We need to recalibrate our lives. And we need to fulfill the greatest commandment that the Lord mentioned in Mark 12, verse 30, a repeat from the ancient scriptures, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, Rob mentioned this morning as we were reading in uh, Psalm 26, and we'll read and uh, records uh, David's uh, communication with God. In verse 2, he said, Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart. And my mind. When we looked in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as we led into communion this morning, a few verses uh, beyond where we stopped, it says, Let everyone examine themselves prior to coming uh, to the table. And this is what we need to do. We need to examine ourselves. This is something we should be doing regularly, not just on a Sunday morning when we sit in church just prior to communion. It is something that we should be doing all the time. When it comes to drifting away from God, it is examination that will snap us out of where we are. So how can we tell it's starting to happen in our lives? As I said before, we rarely make a conscious decision to move away from God. But we start to make these small decisions that compromise our faith we ever so slightly change our habits. And then over time, we start to drop some of our good habits and pick up some bad habits. We start to stop praying. We stop reading God's word. We stop relying on God's power to overcome what is in front of us. We stop listening to that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit as it's drowned out by the noise that's going on in our life. We listen to our own reasoning instead and we rely on our own strength and abilities. We think we have what we need to cope with the situation we find ourselves in. And this usually introduces into our lives worry, concern, anxiety, stress, as we try to fight through these thorns to survive. We feel like we don't have enough time to complete everything that's going on in our lives. And this then leads us at times to stop our involvement in other Christian activities. Maybe we stop attending prayer meetings, Bible studies, home groups. Maybe even we get to the point where we start 
where we stop attending church or we become more irregular as things within our lives crowd out the time that we have to get things done. We are drifting away on the currents. We are fooled into thinking that everything is okay and going along smoothly. But instead, what we're doing is giving Satan an opportunity to get into our lives and to dull our impact for the gospel. All of a sudden, our desires are not about following after God. They're following after what's in our hearts. Maybe it's not immediately obvious to others what's going on in our lives, but God knows. In chapter 2 of Mark's Gospel, we read the story of the paralysed man who was lowered down through the roof. And it's really fascinating to see what Jesus' first words are to this man. So at this point in time, everybody had heard about Jesus and the miracles that he was performing. And there was a massive crowd of people in this house and outside this house looking for another miracle. People who were coming, needing a miracle from Jesus. And these friends brought this paralysed man. As you know the story, they could not get in because of the crowds of people. So they went to the roof and and lowered him down in front of Jesus. And what was the very first thing that Jesus said to this man? He said, your sins are forgiven. Everyone expected Jesus right then and there to raise him up and give him strength in his legs and and to heal him from his paralysis. And so what he said caused great commotion amongst those who were there. There were teachers of the law in the room and they started to think to themselves, this is a blasphemer because who can forgive sins but God alone? And then the very next words that Mark records is this. Why are you thinking these things? As Jesus directs his comments to these teachers of the law. For Jesus knew what they were thinking in their hearts. So we might be able to uh, hide the condition of our spiritual state from those around us. But we cannot hide it from God. For Jesus knows what we are thinking in our hearts. We might be able to carry on following the expectations of all those around us, but he knows what is really going on. And God addressed the condition of the heart later on in Mark's Gospel in chapter 7. Let's turn there for a short moment. Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, and we'll read from verse 1. As Jesus addresses the condition of the heart... Verse 1, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews didn't, do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with unclean hands? Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, 
These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. The Pharisees were so concerned about following the rules that they had created or those that had been passed down from those before him. They were so concerned about looking more spiritual than those around them, by looking more special than those around them, that they had no relationship with the God they said they served. They worshipped God by what they said, but their hearts revealed a different story. Jesus referred to Isaiah 29 when describing the hypocrisy of these Pharisees and teachers of the law. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teaching are merely human rules. Please do not misunderstand me this morning. This passage doesn't represent the leaders of this church or the operations of this church. I'm not making any comments about that whatsoever. But what we're looking at is the condition of the heart of these Pharisees. That's our focus this morning. It's possible to fully participate in church activities yet be far from God himself. These Pharisees attended all of their meetings. They ran the services. They participated in what was going on. They taught the people from the word of God, from the Torah. But their hearts were far from God. In Matthew 23, Jesus says to these people, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. When we've drifted away from following after God, it's actually our heart that drifts away. It's our heart that dictates our priorities. It's our heart that gives us the desires that we chase after. This is where the spiritual battleground lies, within our hearts. Let's read on in Mark 7 uh, from verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he'd left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods to be clean. He went on, What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. The actions that we take, the sins that we commit, all begin with thoughts that germinate from our hearts. Our heart is so critical. What is most important is what we are feeding our hearts. 
if we're not feeding it from the goodness of the fellowship of prayer with our, our Father or filling it with the wisdom of God's word, then we're filling it with something else. Our heart doesn't remain idle. We are always feeding it something, whether we realise it or not. So our hearts feed our thoughts, but our heart also feeds what we say. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus speaking to these Pharisees said this, The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good that is stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Jesus clearly tells us that when we drift away, our thinking changes. Then our words begin to change. And then our actions begin to change. It's a slow fade from one to the next to the next. You then find that because you haven't been feeding your heart with the word of God, with the fellowship that comes with communication with the Father, you find that your your ability to withstand the attacks of Satan and the temptations that he lays in front of you is diminished and you more readily fall into sin. The final indicator of someone drifting away from God is a concept found in Mark 4. Straight after the parable of the sower, Jesus talks about having a lamp. He says, Do you bring in a lamp to put under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out in the open. When you've drifted away from God, you try to conceal elements of your sinful life. Whilst we are prone to sin and we are grateful that our past sins have been done away with by Christ and not disclosed to everyone else, an indicator that you're drifting is your reluctance to be open and transparent as you normally are. Would you act on the same, in the same way? Would you speak in the same way? if your spouse or a brother and sister in the Lord was with you at that point in time. So reading through this first half of Mark's Gospel really does provide us the opportunity to examine our hearts and its motives. Now, I'm fairly task-orientated, and I like to operate off lists. So here's a spiritual checklist for you. That's checks on the condition of your heart. What am I feeding my heart today? What are my thoughts centred on? Do my words honour God or make myself look better amongst those around me? Am I persuaded by the crowd or do I stand for Jesus? Have my habits changed? Am I reading God's word daily? Am I praying to God or am I skipping that because I don't have time? What is my attitude towards the church, towards the activities of the church? Do I honour God with my money through what I bring as an offering to him as well as how I spend what's left over? Do the activities that I'm involved in in my life, are they choking the word of God? 
Is there anything preventing my walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I happy for the unseen parts of my life to be displayed for all to see? Am I ashamed of Christ and his words, or do they form an integral part of my life? In Mark chapter 8, Jesus asks his disciples such an important question. He says to them, who do you say that I am? What's your answer to that? We all know the theoretical answer. We know what the answer should be. But when you look into your heart, what is the answer that you find in there? Remember, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. According to the first verse of chapter 1 in Mark's Gospel, the Gospel was written to declare the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of of God. He declares in verse 15 of chapter 1 that the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And in chapter 3, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander that they utter. Oh, this is such great news. Jesus can forgive every sin we commit. There is no distance that we can travel that is too far away from God's redeeming love. He offers peace and security to each one of us. In our troubled times, we're not on our own. We don't have to try and survive ourselves. For God is there to help us, to show us a way, to give us that assurance that he is in control. He supplies every need that we have. Our sins are covered by his mercy. And all we need to do is turn from what we're doing, look back at the shore and see the Saviour, the Saviour who's calling us back to him. Just as we finish now, let me go back to another list, shall we? Our first stage of restoration when we're coming back from drifting away is what we've just talked about right now, repentance and forgiveness. But secondly, we need to change our habits. We need to get back to the way things were. We need to make sure we're praying and reading his word daily. We need to pray for courage, that like the disciples who were called by Jesus, they left everything, they left their livelihoods and their careers behind instantly and followed after him. What courage that took. We need that courage. We need boldness to stand for him in the place in which he has put us. He has put you in the places in which you work, in which you live, in which you operate for a very reason Because you are his mouthpiece in those places. You are his witness and his testimony in those places in which he has placed you. Pray that God would would guard your heart. Later on in Mark, when uh, it talks about, um, uh, a bit further, another uh, parable uh, about a father whose daughter is dying, he says, help my unbelief. Pray that God would help your unbelief when it comes, when you struggle, that he may guard your heart. He would protect you from the attacks of the evil one. 
But don't forget to praise him. We so often are stuck in our prayers of asking. But the joy comes in praising God for what he has done for us, for the victories and the blessings ever so small each day that he brings in front of us that we overlook. Spend time each day praising God for what he has done for you. And examine your life. Go through the word of God, some of the things that we've just talked about this morning. Examine your life. What is your heart telling you? Remember, as we've been reminded this morning, that we have an advocate with the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who stands between us and God and pleads on our behalf. The Lord Jesus Christ is calling you back to him. Don't miss this opportunity. Take that now. Confess your sins and come back to him. Don't let Satan get a foothold in your life or the life of your families. We're meant to live in the ocean with our brothers and sisters. We're meant to be a part of the ocean. We're meant to be a part of the world. We're not meant to live in the world. Keep our eye on the shore as we watch the next set of waves that comes through. Be refreshed by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and be energised by his word. Let's go out this week and live for him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. We want to thank you that you care about each one of us. Every person seated here this morning, you have a special and personal care and involvement for our lives. You care about the condition of our hearts, each one of us. Regardless of whether our heart is already sold out to you, regardless of whether our heart is filled with your grace and mercy, or whether this morning we're here because we're exploring what Christianity is, we haven't met the Saviour yet, but we're here to find out who is Jesus and what has he done. You care about us. You care about the condition of our heart. You long for us to walk in fellowship with you. In fact, this is the whole reason, the whole reason why you sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to this earth. He came that you might redeem for yourself a people, us, that we might be saved, that we might come into a newness of life as we've read already this morning, that we might be in a come into fellowship with you that we might worship and proclaim your name till kingdom come. Father, we thank you that your son, he has already taken the weight of our sin off our shoulders for those who trust and believe in him. We no longer have to carry that burden. We're no longer having to face life on our own. But yet he allows us to thrive because he has already won the victory for us. We thank you that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might have your righteousness, the righteousness of God. He died so that we might live, and we just praise your name for that. Thank you that you've taken us unworthy sinners and brought us clean 
into your presence. Father, we thank you for the enormous blessing of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the guidance that he gives each one of us. But Father, you've given us a heart that makes choices. Help us, O Father, to choose to listen and act on the voice of the Spirit in our lives. Help us to believe always, to look to you always for what is going on in our lives, for the solution, for you promise that you will supply to us all our needs. Help us, Father, as we get stuck into the middle of life, as the things around us start to clog up our time, help us to look to the shore. Help us to look to the Saviour. Help us to continue to develop these habits of praying regularly to you, of reading the word of God that gives us life, that gives us sustenance. Thank you, Father, for our brothers and sisters here in this room and those who are associated with this church, that they encourage us as we fellowship together, but they also keep us accountable. Maybe prompt us, Lord, to ask each other, what are we reading in the word of God at the moment and what are you telling us to do? Sometimes we need that accountability to keep us on the straight and narrow, to keep us from drifting too far away. Father, I just pray that you would bless us this day. Help us to go out renewed in our faith. If there are those here who need to meet the Saviour, may they take that opportunity this morning to leave the weight of their sin behind and step into a new life, an abundant life, a life of peace and satisfaction. If there are some here who are drifting away, Father, may they stop. Stop in their tracks, turn around and look to the shore and come back into fellowship with you, O Christ. We give you praise and we thank you for this word that we have. We pray that you go out with us this week and may you be blessed and glorified and magnified in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.